We're in the Word again. We're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're making our journey through the New Testament. If you're here, here and you're new to Calvary Chapel, here's what we do. We teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, through the entire New Testament on Sunday mornings. So we're in our fourth journey in the last 20 years through this book, through the New Testament on Sunday mornings. Wednesday night we do Old Testament. We study verse by verse through books in the Old Testament. Now, before we get in the Word this morning, uh, a couple things I want to reemphasize that Mike uh, re- uh, talked about during announcements. First of all, Awanas is starting, great kids program. Our kids are hiding God's word in their heart on Wednesday nights. But if you want to help with that, we're, we're trying to let all the kids come for free, and there's a charge per kid for Awanas. So we try to just scholarship them all. But you can help with that by buying some barbecue over there. We, we have uh, incredible barbecue for sale. It's going to be $8 a pound or a plate. They'll be available. The barbecue will be here next Sunday uh, after services in Camp Calvary. Buy some barbecue to help a kid, uh, sponsor a kid for Iwanas. Also, uh, two weeks from this weekend is what weekend? Labor Day weekend. What do we do on Labor Day weekend? Combined service, one service, not two service, one service. If you come at 11 o'clock, you'll be an hour late. So come 10 o'clock in two weeks, Labor Day weekend, we'll have one combined service. We do that on purpose because after the service, we do baptism. And the baptism uh, is believer's baptism. If you haven't been baptized yet, here's your opportunity in two weeks. So sign up for baptism if you haven't been baptized as a believer and be a part of that because Jesus said the church's job is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We'll give you a free t-shirt too. We need you to sign up with name and t-shirt size on the different tables. We have baptism sign up. We'd love for you to be a part of baptism if you've never been a part of that. And then uh, what we do, we do it on purpose, one service, so that we can, after the service, all go out to the baptismal pool and just be a part of being excited for those that are publicly professing their faith through baptism. So uh, if you want to sign up for baptism, you still do that. But also, don't forget, two weeks from this weekend, Labor Day weekend, one service. What time? What time is one service? 10 a.m. You guys got it! Okay. All right, today we're in Second Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be talking about that God is the God of all comfort. Now in our section, 10 times the word comfort is going to be used throughout the scripture we're looking at this morning. The word comfort in the Greek there is periklesis, and it means, it means to come alongside to help us. And what we're going to learn this morning is that God wants to be with us when afflictions and hard times come. God wants to come alongside us and help us through those hard times, through those afflictions. And some of you here this morning are saying, hey, life is fine right now. I don't have any hard times. Everything's gravy. It's perfect right now. Well, God bless you. God bless you. But listen, this message is still for you. You know why? Because even if life is great right now, the part of living in a cursed world which we're living in is you're going to have some troubles. You're going to have some trials. You're going to have some afflictions. And the, Jesus even predicted that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He didn't water, water it down. He didn't say otherwise. Jesus said, John 16, 33, see, these things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have what? Peace. It's the prince of peace. But notice what it says. In this world you will have tribulation. Another version says troubles, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing that were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. Peter's saying, hey, if you're living in a cursed world, don't be surprised. 
When afflictions come, they're going to come. It's part of living in a cursed world. There will be troubles. We're, Christian, listen, we're not in heaven yet. We get to heaven, that's trials, pain, mourning, sorrow, sin, all gone. We're not there yet. So the question is, when those trials hit, how do we help God help us by being a God of all comfort that will help us in our afflictions? I'm gonna give you at least five principles this morning. I think, actually, uh, actually six principles, I believe, this morning that will help you when trials hit. And I'm gonna, we're gonna go through this verse by verse, but within these verses are principles that will help you allow God to comfort you when afflictions and trials and struggles hit. And it could be trials in any areas. It could be trials in your marriage, in your parenting, in your health, in your sin, your addiction. Whatever it is, God wants to help. He wants to be the God of all comfort who can comfort you and stand alongside you to help you in the struggles that all of us face. So uh, let's jump right in. Second Corinthians chapter 1, if you're there, say amen. All right, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, first of all, the first word in his letter is his name, Paul. Purposely did that. He, in, in, in that culture, different than in our culture today, we have postcards, we have whatever else we put sincerely at the end. In that culture, when they'd write a letter, it was a scroll. And in that scroll, what they'd do is they'd start with their name first, because otherwise you'd have to go through all the bottom of the scroll to figure out who this is from. So they'd start with their name first, Paul. And then he, he gives himself a description, an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Interesting, because one of the reasons he writes this letter, 2 Corinthians, is he's defending his apostleship. Because there was people in Corinth that were still against him. Now, the good news is Titus had brought back a report after his first letter, which was corrective. Remember, he was correcting abuses in the church. He was correcting things like brothers were suing each other in Corinth. He was correcting that. There was misinterpretation of how to use his spiritual gifts. He corrected that in 1 Corinthians. There was actually a brother that was committing incest with his, his father's wife. He really corrected that in 1 Corinthians and made it very clear what to do with that. Kick that brother out, discipline him until he repents. But Titus brought bad news. Hey, the Corinthians are responding well. They've repented. Like this, this whole thing of this incest in the church, that brother's repented. And Paul's going to address that in 2 Corinthians. He's going to say, hey, reaffirm your love for him now. Forgive him as God has forgiven him. He's going to address these issues of ministry. A very personable book in this 2 Corinthians. He's going to address from his heart, some of these things, and he's gonna share ministry with the Corinthians, but he's also gonna defend his apostleship. He was doing that a little bit in 1 Corinthians chapter nine also with these same, same people that were opposing his leadership, and he talked about defending his, his ministry there. In 1 Corinthians 9, 1, he said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not see, seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Now, part of being an apostle was you had to be an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. When did Paul uh, wouldn't did Paul have the opportunity to be an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, he was on the road to Damascus, and he saw Jesus Christ, and he was hit off his high horse, and that's when he came to Christ. Another interesting thing, typical Pauline greeting to these saints in Corinth. All, uh, he says, grace to you and peace. Paul started all his letters with those two, never peace to you and grace. It was always grace 
which is charis in the Greek, which means undeserved merit and favor from God, and peace, which in the Greek is irion, which is this, serenity of soul and rest of soul. Now, why did he start some of his letters, peace to you and grace? Because you can't have that serenity of soul, that rest for your soul until you have God's grace. When you have grace, when you have undeserved favor through faith in Jesus Christ, when you put saving faith in Jesus Christ, you're given undeserved favor, grace. And then that brings serenity, peace to your soul. Now, let's get into the section now about God being the God of all comfort. Verse, Verse three, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all what? There's our word, comfort. Again, it means paraclesis, it means come alongside us to help us, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so you shall also be sharers of our what? Comfort. Now, listen. I want you to see, we're going to see a list of things as we go through the scripture of how to receive God's comfort. But the first thing I want you to see is how does he start talking about God's comfort? What's the very first verse? Blessed. Blessed be the God of all comfort. The word there, blessed, in the Greek is eulogitos. We get the English word eulogy from this word. And what do people do when they give eulogies at funerals? I just did a funeral in the last week or two, and the daughter came out and gave a beautiful eulogy for her dad, and it was just blessing her dad. It's talking about how great a dad he was and how great a husband he was, how he provided for the family and how he was a hard worker and just all these attributes that this daughter was blessing her dad for. We do the same thing. When we praise God, what are we doing? We're praising him for who he is. We're praising him for being a great God, for being a father in heaven that provides for us, for being the healer of our hearts and our souls and healing us physically, for being the God that is never gonna leave us nor forsake us. When we bless God like we did this morning, this worship time, we're worshiping him. And the first principle, if you wanna have comfort in the midst of affliction, be a person that blesses God, even in the affliction. Be a person that doesn't run away from God when affliction hits, but runs towards him. What does the Bible say? The God God is a strong tower, and the righteous run into that strong tower, especially when struggles hit. And here's the thing that Satan wants you to do when affliction hits. He wants you to run away from God rather than run towards him. He wants you to isolate yourself. That's the worst thing you can do when afflictions are hitting. Best thing you can do is get yourself in the house of God. And praise him. Continue to praise him. Give him glory. Had spent time in devotions praising God in the midst of the affliction. And that's why Paul wrote in, in, in Philippians 4.4, 4, from, a, flip, from a, a, a jail cell in Rome to the Philippians, he, he was chained to Roman guards, and he said, rejoice in the Lord when your circumstances are good. Is that what he said? What did he say? Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. Oh, Paul, chained to guards, possibly awaiting an execution from Nero. He's talking about rejoicing in the Lord. 16 times through that book, he talks about joy in the Lord because he was a man 
that blessed God and worshiped God and gave him glory even in the midst of struggles. And you say, well, he's just some armchair expert right now. No, 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 no. We're going to get to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in several weeks, and we're going to see just the stuff he went through in his his shipwrecks on his missionary journeys. He had shipwrecks. He had beatings without number. He had stonings where he was stoned to death and resuscitated. He had uh, uh, 39 lashes several times. He went through some stuff. But he didn't stop praising God, blessing God. Think about Acts chapter 16. You remember he was in the uh, uh, jail cell in uh, at Philippi? And as he was there, he was falsely accused. He was beaten with rods because of preaching the gospel and this false accusations against him. They threw him in jail in stocks. It was about midnight. Acts 16 says. And he was in there whining and complaining. Is that what he was doing? No, it was a midnight, and he was giving praise, singing songs of hymns to his God. And then they had the first jailhouse rock. What happened was God responded to that praise with an earthquake that broke the chains. He was being set free, and the jailer at that time saw, listen, the jailer saw the faith of Paul and Silas in blessing and praising God to the point when, when that whole thing happened, the jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And then Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And the jailer and his whole household got saved because Paul was blessing God with a bloody back. One of your greatest witnesses as a Christian will be how you respond to affliction in your life, whether you continue to praise God even when life is tough whether you continue to get yourself in God's house and worship him and walk with God even through the afflictions. Isaiah says God will walk through the fire with you, but he doesn't say he will stop allowing you to go through fire at times. Do you see that? Bless God. Worship God. Give him glory even when life is tough. and It will help you in the midst of the affliction that you face. Uh, one of my, it was actually my first mission trip. went to Haiti. Uh, I was in college. took a week of my summer uh, in in college after my sophomore year in college, and I went with a bunch of former Young Lifers to Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and we helped build uh, a water irrigation system for a Methodist mission up there, or down there in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And I'll never forget, because I was going to church that first Sunday, and the church was up this hill. We were all walking, and as we were walking up this hill, there were some, uh, some Haitian kids that were walking along with us up to the church. It's a Haitian church. And they had orange hair. And I asked the missionary, what the, what's this orange hair? Are these black kids coloring their hair like orange? Is this, is this the latest hip style in Haiti or something? And the missionary told me, he said, no, 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 you don't understand, Johnny. This orange hair is because they're malnourished. And when you're malnourished, your hair turns orange because of the lack of vitamins or basically not having enough food. And then I looked at their tummies after he told me that, and all these Little kids and, you know, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids had pot bellies. Mr. Aaron told me that was because it was, they were in the process of starvation even because of the lack of food. And I'm walking up this hill. And that week was a tough week because we got there. It was 100 degrees, super hot, August in Haiti. And I kind of had a little attitude because we were carrying, like, mason bricks around and helping this thing construction. And the last day or before, two or two, a couple days before church, I was like, oh, what am I doing here kind of thing. And then we're walking up this hill, and these kids with orange hair and starving bellies were praising God up that hill. Before they even got to church, they were worshiping Jesus Christ. 
and giving glory. And some of them were smiling and laughing. I got so convicted. I go, what in the world am I complaining about? And these kids were a witness to me because they were giving glory to God and blessing God with orange hair. I'm going, whoa, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. First principle, when, when afflictions hit, trials hit, keep blessing God. Keep giving him glory. Eulogitos, praise him. But then the second principle is not only praise him, but see the purpose in your trials. And what's the purpose of trials? Paul goes back to our scripture. Paul says this, the purpose of our trials is God, the God of all mercy, the God of all comfort, verse four, who comforts us in our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Here's the purpose of trials. Purpose of trials is that in the midst of trials, you continue to bless God, stay close to Him. He'll give you comfort, help you through that trial, and then after you get through it, you're to comfort others with the comfort God's given you because God got you through it. You assure other people, God got, I stayed close to God in the midst of this trial. God comforted me, helped me through the trial. Now I want to assure you, if you stay close to God, He'll comfort you and He'll help you through the trial too, and you'll get through it too. That's the purpose of trials. It's to make you legitimate in your ministry to other people where you can assure them that God will be with you and help you through this trial because he was with me in the same trial and he helped me and I got through it too. Wonderful. You know, um, U-Turn for Christ. Many of our U-Turn for Christ guys, after they graduate, they stay on in the ministry of U-Turn for Christ as overseers and leaders because they've been comforted by God and set free from their addiction and they want to stay in the ministry of U-Turn for Christ to help other people get the same comfort from God and get set free from their addictions. And you know what? We'll never have people in strong leadership in U-Turn for Christ that haven't been through it because that legitimizes their ministry to other U-Turn guys, right? And so our overseers, everything else, are all graduates of U-Turn for Christ because they've been comforted by God, set free by God, and now they're able to legitimately say, God will do it for you too if you trust him and live for him. Uh, I remember... Um, one of the biggest trials I went through is over 10 years ago now. And uh, uh, it's my dad passing. I'll never forget it because my dad was always kind of a larger-than-life guy in my life and one of my best friends. And I got a call from my sister, and my, she said, Dad's got pneumonia. Come up to Chicago. And just out of the blue, I flew right up to Chicago. And I got there, and they had one of those, I forgot what they're called, but it goes in your throat and helps you breathe and uh, uh, ventilators. And so I was sitting there with my dad and my sister and my mom and we're, I'm praying for my dad as soon as I got to Chicago, went right to the hospital. But I had this, I had this I, my dad was larger than life. He played handball five days a week at six in the morning. He's athletic, still looked like a middle-aged man. I said, Dad will get through this. Always has, he's a survivor. He always was a survivor and so I said, he'll get through this. So we stayed about midnight and then we all went home to get a few hours of sleep Five o'clock in the morning, we got the call. Dad's gone. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Gone. And it's like I got sucker punched. And I remember I just struggled with that. And after, for two or three days, I was just like, whew, I don't know how to handle it. And then the Lord allowed me to get some wind back in the sails with my faith. I just went to like, three services at <laughs> church that weekend. I found churches to go to on Sunday. I went to a church at 7 o'clock in the morning, the first service. 
And the Lord revitalized that faith a little bit. I just continued to draw near to God and bless him in the midst of just being, oh, like this. And God got me through it. Hurt. It's grieving. He got me through it. But I'll never forget that because within a year after that happened to me, there were several people in our fellowship, in our church, that lost parents that same year. And they were devastated too. And it was amazing because that timing of losing my dad and then receiving comfort from God through faith allowed me to minister with legitimacy to those people that were going through the same thing that same year. You see how that works? That's part of the purpose of why God allows us to go through affliction. So we could draw close to him, he can comfort us, and then we can comfort others with the same comfort that we've been comforted as we've gone through that trial, and he's come through for us. One, one commentator put it this way that I read this week. He said, God comforts us to make us comforters. And then he went on to also say, hey, God, the comfort that God gives us is a gift that we're supposed to give to others. That's good. That'll preach, won't it? God comforts us as a gift so that we can give that gift of comfort to others. So bless God in the midst of trials, afflictions. Second thing, see the purpose in it so you can receive God's comfort and then comfort others with the same affliction that you go through. Now go on. Let's go on. Verse eight. For we don't want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Again, Paul was no armchair expert. What's he saying here? We were having such a hard time on our missionary journeys that we wanted to die is what he's saying. Indeed, we had the sense of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, him on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. Here's the next principle. Look what Paul says. We were in such straits, such dire straits, we wanted to die. We despaired of life itself. But go back to the scripture again. What did Paul do in that situation of despairing of even life? Verse 9. Indeed, we had the sense of death within ourselves so that we would not, what? Trust in ourselves but in the God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he in whom we have set our, what? Our hope. And he will yet deliver us. Here's the next principle. When trials come and afflictions come and you're feeling pressed in, the word affliction there, by the way, is thalipsis in the Greek, and it means that you're being, feeling pressure from both sides. It's like you're being pressed in by this affliction. And when that happens, Paul says, next thing, don't trust in yourself. Don't try to just pull up your bootstraps and get on with it yourself. Trust in God. And put your hope in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, what? Acknowledge him. And he'll make your path straight. He'll direct your paths. And I tell you what, when those sucker punches come in life, not only do you need to keep blessing God, not only do you need to see the purpose in it, but you need to trust God. Because we're told our faith is tested in trials. And you pass the test when you get to the point when those trials come and you say, God, I don't understand this. I'm not going to try to figure this out, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, God. And I'm going to trust you with all my heart. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm going to trust you. And a part of trusting him, listen, a part of trusting him is taking the burden off your shoulders and saying, God, I'm not going to do this myself. 
I'm going to cast, as Peter said, 1 Peter 5, 7, I'm going to cast all my anxiety upon you because you care for me. I'm going to do what Paul says, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. It's a fortress. Trust in God. Trust in God. Because we got a choice to make. When those trials come, when those afflictions come, are we going to trust God or are we going to get angry with God? Are we going to run to God in faith or are we going to run away from him because we're bitter about the struggles we're going through? And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go through a struggle, affliction, a trial, something that's hard in life, I want to get something out of it at least. And here's what we're told in Scripture you'll get as you trust God through trials. Listen, classic Scripture on this, James 1, 2 to 4. It says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing, here it is, testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect. The word in tilios in the Greek means mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You trust God through a trial? What's it saying you'll get there? Maturity and completeness because you trusted him instead of getting angry with him in the trial you're facing. Romans chapter five, three and five talks about this also. It says, not only this, but we also exalt, the word can be translated, we rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given us. You trust God in trials? They'll produce proven character in your life, perseverance, endurance, Christ-likeness. Peter went on to say also that you trust God in trials. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have like a golden-like faith because of the way you're going to grow through those trials as you trust them. Think about it. Christian, think about it. When have you grown the most? Has it been in times of prosperity when everything was going good? Not me. I look back on my spiritual heritage and the times I've made some advancement in my relationship with Christ, it's times not of prosperity, times of adversity. I, I, I look back on how I even got saved. And I came to Christ because I got to a place finally of brokenness because of the adversity that I was dealing with in life. Even my call in the ministry, I go back to that time period of my life when I was called into the ministry. You know what it was? It was I was going through some really hard times and God made it clear to me, you're supposed to do this the rest of your life and that's preach the gospel and be a pastor. Amazing. Those growth spurts in my life have always been times of adversity, not prosperity. But we gotta trust him. We gotta trust him. We gotta be like Job in the midst of his adversity. He said, God, even if you slay me, yet will I put my trust in you, that's faith. And your faith is tested when trials come. Are you gonna pass the test? Are you gonna say, God, I don't understand this. I don't know why this is happening. But God, I'm gonna trust you. Probably one of the greatest sermons I ever heard preached was on James Dobson's Focus on the Family radio, radio program several years ago. Big, black, gospel preacher in Los Angeles. His name was Evie Hill. And his wife had just died after 50 years of marriage. And he preached the sermon at his own wife's funeral. And James Dobson rebroadcast on his radio station. And he talked about his Jacob wrestling with God the night before the funeral. 
And he was saying, God, why did you let my wife of 50 years die? I have all this ministry yet to do. She was the greatest partner. She was the one that helped me, that helped me do everything you called me to do. Why'd you do this to me, God? So he was arguing with God the night before the funeral. God told him, nothing at first, silence. And then he heard in his spirit, God speaking to his spirit, just two words. Trust me. And I don't know if you've heard some black gospel preaching, but this guy, through the rest of the whole sermon, was saying, God told me, trust me. <laughs> and it, got, it was like building crescendo. It got louder and louder and louder through the radio program. But it was such a statement to me. This guy just lost his wife, and he's doing his own wife's funeral, preaching it. And the two words, the only two words you hear from God, trust me, trust me. Trust me. And then he said, by the end of the message, I've decided I'm going to trust him. And he did several of years after that of fruitful ministry in Los Angeles because he trusted God in the midst of the affliction of losing his wife. We've got a choice to make. We're going to trust him. We'll become better Christians instead of bitter Christians if we do. Amen? And then it goes on, verse 12, for our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially towards you, Corinthians. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you'll understand till the end, just as you partially did understand that we are your reason to be proud, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. He's saying, you guys know how we lived. We, you know that we maintained, even in the trials we face, our integrity. He said, you know that our testimony of having a good conscience and living in holiness and godly sincerity, you knew that we conducted ourselves in ways that was right in our lifestyles. And not only that, he said, you guys are, you should even be proud of us because of the way we lived before your lives. Here's, what, here's the next thing about I want you to see here. Paul's just talking about how they despaired even of life because of the afflictions they were facing. But he's continuing to say, we lived in holiness and godliness. We lived in integrity in our lives. That's a choice we've got to make. Because he, again, here's what Satan wants to do when hard times and affliction hits. He wants you to go back to the world and the dirt of the world. You've got to make a choice. Not only do you got to make a choice, am I going to trust God in trials, but I'm gonna be, am I going to be like Paul and live in holiness and godly sincerity in the midst of the affliction? If you make the choice to go back to the world, to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, your life will go from bad to worse. You'll go, from the, you'll go from the boiling pot to the frying pan. And again, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to face some hard times, I want to at least become a better Christian because of it. And that's a choice. In the midst of the trial, in the midst of affliction, are you going to keep seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all things onto you? If you do, if you do, God will make you a stronger, more mature, more godly Christian because of that choice. Pastor Chuck, founder of Calvary Chapel, after 60 years of serving the Lord, he got uh, lung cancer. Funny thing is he never, he grew up in a godly Christian home, godly parents, he never smoked a cigarette in his life and he gets lung cancer. I think one of the reasons he got lung cancer is because he lived for 86 years in a place called Los Angeles. If you've ever been to LA, there's a lot of smog. You suck that in for 86 years, it could, it could do some damage. So he gets lung cancer. And he just keeps serving the Lord, keeps teaching, keeps pastoring. 
And I remember in the process of the, towards the end of his life with lung cancer, I remember we had a, a pastor's conference in Atlanta. And as we were in Atlanta, they actually tuned in a video from Pastor Chuck. I was a little shocked. Because the year before, they tuned in a video from Pastor Chuck also at the same pastor's conference. And he still had that vibrancy, that smile, and just, that, just still looked younger than he was. That last video was, right, was the year that he passed. And... Uh, he looked 10 years older than the year before because he was doing chemotherapy, he was on oxygen tanks, radiation. And oh, I was like, wow. And so I talked to one of his main assistant pastors, Roger Wing was his name, was there at the pastor's conference. And I went up to uh, Roger Wing in between sessions after I saw the video, I went up to Roger and said, Roger, how's Pastor Chuck do? I was expecting, boy, he's, in, he's struggling and all this. I said, he says, Pastor Chuck's doing great. I said, really? He looked 10 years older than the last time I saw him on video. He said, no, he's doing great. I said, really? And, he's, he, and then he said this to me. He said, and Pastor Chuck still teaching all three services at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa every Sunday morning right now. And Pastor Chuck also, every day of the week, is, is, is continuing on just serving the Lord. He does a daily, hour-long radio show, Pastor's Perspective, where thousands of people around Southern California listen to his radio show and call and ask him questions. Every afternoon he's still doing that. He's still doing everything around the key. He's still coming to the office all the time because Pastor Chuck has told us, I'm in a win-win situation right here with this lung cancer. If the Lord takes me, absent from the body, present with the Lord. I get to go to paradise. If he leaves me here any longer, I'm just gonna keep serving him. And he chose to not only continue in faith, he chose to continue to just be godly and serve the Lord. I'm going, Pastor Chuck, you're my hero. He wasn't bitter. He was in a win-win situation. He just kept serving the Lord, living for the Lord, living a holy, godly life, making a difference for God. And then, that same year, he passed. And I was told the year that he passed, uh, or the week that he passed, he preached all three services on Sunday morning, did the radio show on Monday, and the Lord took him home on Wednesday. And I'm sure that Wednesday, hmm, Jesus was there to usher him into heaven, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. Well done. I want to be that way too. How about you? Doesn't matter what life throws us, let's just keep serving the Lord. Let's keep living godly lives with sincerity. Let's keep trusting God. Let's close up our chapter now. It says, verse 15, in this confidence I intended first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing that is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Well, what purpose do I pr- uh, purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be a yes, yes and no, and no at the same time? But God is faithful. Our word is to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. Here's Paul is explaining now to the Corinthians. Some of his adversaries in Corinth, some of the people that were saying he was a false apostle, are saying, Paul's promised to come to you. He hadn't come yet. He's saying this, and he's not a man of his word. And Paul's saying, hey, I wasn't vacillating. Again, last chapter of 1 Corinthians 16, he, the way Paul operated, if the Lord permits. He was led by the Spirit, and the Lord wasn't permitting him to come yet. It wasn't a matter of yes or no, it was a matter of being led by the Lord. And then he closes up the chapter by saying, for as many as are the promises of God, in him there are yes, and therefore also through him is our amen, to the glory of God through us. 
Now he who establishes us from you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. You know, if you're a believer, you have the same thing as Paul. God has established you in him. He's anointed you by his Holy Spirit. He sealed you. The seal means a sign of ownership. They would seal things on wax and crates that were shipped by kings or wealthy people. That's the sign of ownership. You're, you're owned by God. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. And not only are you sealed, you have a pledge. You know what the pledge was? The pledge was a down payment, a deposit. And you know what your down payment is? It's the Holy Spirit in you. That Holy Spirit is just a little portion of all the glory you're going to experience when you get to heaven. When you give glory to God and our, our worship and you feel his presence, that's a down payment. That's the Spirit giving you a little taste of all the glory that's going to come in heaven. You've been sealed. You have a pledge. You have a down payment of heaven in you through the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, but I call God as witness to my soul that, that to spare you I did not come again in Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but our workers for you and for your joy, for your faith, your stand for. Here's what Paul's saying. It's probably a good thing I didn't come when you're in the midst of all that stuff. Good thing I wasn't there in person because I'm an apostle, I am an apostle, and I would have let you have it. And God in his sovereignty kept me away from you so that I wouldn't let you have it to the degree that I might not have confronted you with the grace I should have confronted you with. Now, last thing I want you to see here. He talks about promises of God, verse 20. What does he say in verse 20 are the promises of God? I love this. So the promises of God are yes and what? Amen. What does amen mean? So be it. <laughs> I like that. Last thing you got to see, when trials hit, afflictions hit, the promises of God, they're yes and they're so be it. What does that mean? When the struggles hit, the afflictions hit, the trials hit, we could stand on the promises of God. We could believe in them. We could be people that say, hey, all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I believe, God, that even no matter what I face here, you got some good coming out of this because your word says that. We could believe in promises like Romans chapter 8 that says, if God be for us, who could be against us? And then Romans 8 also says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Romans 8 at the very end says, and nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if we know God's word, and we're people of the word, when those struggles and trials hit, we could agree with the promises of God that are yes and amen, like Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, I know the plans I have for you, not for calamity, but for welfare, to give you a future and hope. We trust in those things. We could trust in the promises of God that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And my God shall supply all my needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. But church, listen, you gotta be in the word to know the promises. We gotta be in the word so those promises start getting treasured in our hearts and they're in there when the trials hit because you know them in their heart. They're right there in your heart. And then you could stand on them. You could say, Paul, yes, yes and amen to that promise. Doesn't matter what I'm facing here. I got this promise I could rely on, and I could bank on the promises of God. I did a funeral this last week and a half, and 
It's a guy that for years came to our church. Brian Davis was his name. His wife's name is Glenda. Beautiful couple, beautiful people. And um, I was sitting right up here during the funeral when the daughter right up here at the pulpit was given the eulogy. And it was a beautiful eulogy. Again, she just gave praise for the great dad he was, and he was a great dad, and praise for the kind of man he was and the Christian that he was. But then she shared, and I was sitting on a stool back there, and I was just listening intently. And she was sharing about how the last week of her dad's life, she was by the bedside with him. And he had skin cancer that went into organ cancer, and it gotten bad. It gotten bad to the place to where he had a blackness on all back of his head, and there's holes, and it was just bad. And she said during the eulogy, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, why would God allow this to happen to you? You love God. You're a Christian. Why would God allow this to happen to you? She shared during the eulogy, and here's what my dad said. My dad said this. She said, sweetheart, listen. She said, my dad said this to me. My dad said that God will not give you anything or me anything that I can't endure. And God has promised that I'm going to a better place. That Christ in me basically is the hope of glory. And I was listening to that back here. I was thinking, I remember when Brian Davis on a regular basis was coming to our church before the cancer he had his Bible open. He was studying the Word of God. And what he was quoting to his daughter is what was treasured in his heart, which is the promises of God. That God's not going to give us anything we can't endure and that we're going to a much better place. And he was standing on those promises in his last week before he went to heaven. See the importance and the potency of the promises of God especially when life is tough. It's important. That's why we need to be men and women of the word that are hearing God's word taught on a regular basis, that are meditating in God's word on a personal basis, on a daily basis. The promises of God, they're yes and they're amen. Amen, church? What do we learn today? Hey, when trials hit, bless God. When trials hit, see the purpose. And that's to make you a comforter. Receive God's comfort and pass it on. When trials hit, hey, trust God. When trials hit, ask people, oh, we skipped a point. Got to go back. Put in a rewind. Another point, don't forget this, too. Get people to pray for you. Get people. Paul said, and I can't believe I skipped that, verse 11, Paul said this, you also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Don't forget to ask people to pray for you when you're in the midst of affliction because your prayers, the prayers of God's people are powerful and effective and they availeth much, right? Another illustration of that too is that we went on our monthly motorcycle ride yesterday and uh, we had a great time. Ice cream, had great ice cream cone, Prosperity. Hey, go to the Rite Aid, that little uh, grocery store on the main street in Prosperity. They have like old Walgreens, like, like tables with an ice cream bar. It's awesome. Anyway, side point. But I was with one of our guys that uh, lost his son. His son was only in his 20s. 
And we were talking about that a little bit as we were in fellowship eating ice cream cone together on our motorcycle ride. And he said, John, the thing that got me through the loss of my son was I knew there was people at Calvary Chapel praying for us in the midst of our loss. And he said, listen, listen. and he said, and when I was in in this whole thing of losing my son in his 20s, he said, I could literally feel the prayers of people at Calvary Chapel. That's a big thing that helped me get through this. So when you're in a trial, don't feel ashamed to ask people, especially in your church, to pray for you because it'll make a difference. All right, didn't skip that point. Praise the Lord. Fifth point is maintain our integrity and our lifestyle of living for Christ in the trial. And lastly, stand on what? The promises of God. Can I get a yes and an amen to that church? Yes and let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word this morning. Thank you, God, that you are the God of all comfort who has the ability to comfort us in all our afflictions. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are a God that wants to stand alongside us to help us when afflictions and trials and hard times come. Lord, help us to be a people in the midst of struggles in life that we don't run away from you, God. We run towards you. Help us to be a people that bless you, God, even when life is hard, that give you praise and glory and honor. Help us to be a people too, Lord, that in the midst of trials, see the purpose in it, and that's to get your comfort and then pass that comfort onto other people that face the same afflictions. Help us to trust you, Lord. Help us not to get bitter or angry when those tough times come, but help us just to trust you even more, Lord, with all our heart. And Father, I pray too that we would be people that ask other people to pray for us. Help us not to be ashamed to solicit prayer from people that can have powerful prayers on our behalf. Lord, I pray too that you help us to maintain our integrity even when life is tough. Help us to be like Paul that lived in holiness and godly sincerity in the midst of the struggle. And lastly, Lord, help us to believe and trust and stand on your promises that are yes and amen, Lord. Help us to be people of your word that know your book and know your word and stand on the promises of God and believe in them. Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that's in the midst of loss or struggle or affliction. They're feeling the pressure. They're feeling the, just the, the struggle in life. I pray that they would be reinvigorated this morning with faith and trust and belief in your sovereignty and your goodness and your, and your power to help them, Lord. And I pray for them right now that you would just be the wind in their sails, Lord. Help them to see in the midst of even the hurt or the struggle that you're there for them and you want to come alongside them to help them and help them just to look to you for that strength that they need in the midst of the adversity, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that faith makes a difference, Lord. Thank you for the strength that you bring into all of our lives. Help us to live in trust and faith even this week, Lord. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name.